And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast on a Thursday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Welcome in. Thursday is instruction, Q&A style, mailbag this week. We've got some great guests coming up for the remainder of October and through November. Lots of great teachers, George Gankus, Chris Como, just to name a couple. All right, I'll give you some more. Me and my golf, Rick Shields. Perhaps you've heard of them. Some of the best teachers, not just in the United States, folks, but all over the world. They'll be joining me. We like to take it deep here on the Stripe Show. Look at video, go X's and O's, coaches speak. So you're not going to want to miss that. It's been a great run here on the Stripe Show podcast. We appreciate you. Froggy Wednesdays has been terrific. Hope you enjoyed Adam Hadwin yesterday. How about Tuesday with beating the bookie, giving out his book, loving the fantasy golf gambling on Tuesday, and then happy hour with Samantha Marks going extremely well, introducing you to the Corn Ferry Tour, top 25 graduates as uh, we continue to work through that list. Lots of great players coming up on Friday as we get to meet the up-and-comers on the PGA Tour. I want to start this week before we get to some of the mailbag questions that I have. This is going to be really good because we're going to go through the bag and I'm going to speak to you on some of the common things that I see on the lesson tee and have seen over the last 21 years, but also some specific questions that come in. Now, you remember here on the podcast, when I speak to you and you follow my stuff, I'm speaking to the amateur player. I'm not speaking to other coaches. I'm not going to bog you down with everything that I know. I'm speaking to the amateur player and I'm going to give it context. So there'll be some takeaways here and you'll learn something and play better golf. The reality is it's fall golf and there's still some great golf to be played. I love this time of year, although it's 89 and humid here in Florida, you get outside and you're out there for 10 minutes and you're sweating your ass off, but it feels like October or it feels like August here. But I know soon, perhaps in the next week, it'll turn and it'll start to at least feel kind of like fall. Now, the reality is most of the country, it's starting to feel like fall. Leaves are changing. My sister sent me a video from Missoula, Montana, and it was snowing. Now, I don't want that. I don't want snow, but I want cooler weather. I want that little slight runny nose. I want to put my jacket on. I love that kind of golf. Before we get to the Q&A here and some of the instruction, I want to start with this old cliche that you hear all the time. People challenge me. They have like to have fun with me. You drive for show and you putt for dough. How many times you heard that? You drive for show, Travis, and you putt for dough. That's how they do it on the PGA Tour. Oh, really? Let me share with you last year's stats. We'll just go back one year. Strokes gain off the tee. Let me share some names with you. Strokes gain off the tee. Drive for show. Number one, Bryson DeChambeau. Number two, John Rahm. Sergio Garcia. Rory McIlroy. Victor Hovland. Johnny Vegas. Just ignore that one. Brooks Kepka, Corey Connors. Bubba Watson. Cameron Champ. Keith Mitchell. Patrick Cantlay. Perhaps you've heard some of those guys. Strokes gain off the tee. Now, let's go to strokes game putting. Putt for dough. Got to have that putter. Number one, Louis Eustazen. Consistent, doesn't win. 
JT Poston, Ian Poulter's number three, Patrick Reed's number four, Zach Johnson, number five, Jason Kokrak, number six, Rain Gibson, number eight, Sammy Burns, number nine. Now, I'll give you Sammy. I'll give you Sammy at number nine. Cameron Smith, number 10, Chesson Hadley, Harris English, Alex Norn, Hunter Mahan, Mackenzie Hughes, Cameron Tringali. Which list do you want to be on? The game of golf, when you watch it at the professional level, is a ball-striking tour. Yes, it helps to have length, big advantage. We saw it play out on PGA Tour champion. It's almost unfair. Phil Mickelson goes down there. It's a 25 yards longer than most of those guys playing golf courses where you can spray it a little bit more, no rough. He can recover. That length is a huge advantage. We see it play out on the PGA Tour all the time. Length matters. matters. Strokes gain off of the tee matters. Which list would you rather be on? Now, when you get into strokes gain approach, the list gets even more impressive. That's when you start getting to the Colin Morikawa's the Justin Thomases of the world. You start seeing repeats with John Rahm and others. Ball striking. Approach game off of the tee. Give me an okay short game. I don't want to be in the cellar. Give me a short game that's serviceable. Doesn't have to be great. And then let me make some putts. Don't have to be a great putter. Don't have to be in the top 10 as I just listed but I need to be a good putter. I need to have my good weeks, my great weeks, so I can bring it all together. But if I want to have ample opportunities and I want to compete week in and week out, give me a little bit of distance and let me strike the golf ball extremely well. It's a ball striking game. And I think it applies a lot to the amateur players too. I got to tell you, when I assess Amateur players, of course, everybody's different. Sometimes the putter's just killing you and you're not making anything and you're three putting and it's time to go in there and make you a better putter. There's some god-awful short games in amateur golf. Perhaps you're one of them and you got to learn to use the bounce, hit low, medium, high. Have two or three different shots that you can go to. At least one, the medium one. At least have that one. There's time to go in and develop the short game. And it has value. I'm not saying that. But more times than not, when you take a player and you give them a little bit more distance off the tee and you bring that cone in and now they're, the driving is a more of a weapon for them and you improve their technique where the probability of impact starts to really get better from an iron play standpoint, now all of a sudden they're hitting more greens with their middle irons. The proximity with their shorter irons is closer. Those improvements in the swing and technique start to improve the probability of impact. And all of a sudden they can start developing more skill. They get more opportunities from T to green becomes less of an issue for 18 holes. And all of a sudden we start shifting that bell curve that I talked about on Monday which is how you really start to move your scores lower. And if you didn't listen to Monday on the podcast, you should, because I got a lot of good feedback from Monday on what we talked about as far as what goes into score and how you influence the score and how, how everybody's score is over this bell curve. 
And the only way to really get better is you have to shift the bell curve and what goes into that. And number one, it's improving your skill set. So that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to talk primarily about the swing because that's what a lot of you like to come to me for is swing help, but also a little bit about the short game and a little bit about putting. So of course you can putt for dough. I want to start with this question here. This question is about the shut club face at the top. And he says, Hey, Travis, you talk a lot about getting the club face, perhaps a little bit closed in the backswing. Why is that? Well, that's a good question. The reason is because when you have an open club face at the top of the swing, if I look at the top of the swing and I look at the grip and the wrist angles and I see the face at the top and then I start seeing in transition, I can pretty much determine what's going to happen from there. And as I watch the rest of the swing, I can tell you what your ball flight's going to be as far as starting direction, curve, trajectory, spin, all those things. And roughly, probably pretty close on what you're capable of doing from a ball striking standpoint and where your handicap might be. Now, I know short game plays into that in putting, but you can, I've been doing this long enough, I can predict pretty close. You get the club face open at the top, you got your work cut out for you, folks. What are you going to do from there? Face is open. Well, I primarily see one of two things. One, you either come over the top, and when you come over the top, you swing out to in steep so much so you can get the club face looking far enough left so it starts left and then works back to the right. We see that a lot, right? Out to in, face open. Raise your hand. You're a slicer. The other thing I see is open face players will come down maybe pretty good on a better plane attack angle, perhaps more from the inside. And then from there, they have to let it out. They can't lean the shaft forward. In fact, they got to lean the shaft more back so the face can look more down the target line. And usually that player will hit it where it starts straight with less curve. And that's usually the higher skilled player. Now the trajectory will be very high and you're taking a seven iron and you're turning it into an eight iron, but you're doing a better job managing that club face. What you don't see is a player bring it down from the inside, lean the shaft forward and swivel the left hand down and square the face. That's tough. That would be what you would see perhaps from like a Curtis Strange who had the face open at the top, a Corey Pavin who had the face open at the top. Very difficult to do. And if I taught that pattern over 21 years, I would be living on the streets because I would make no money. (laughs) I would make no money. So it's hard to develop a player around that open club face. So what do you got to do? You got to get the face more shut. You got to either do it through the grip, getting the grip a bit stronger. I like to look at the grip first. I don't like to get the grip really strong because I'd rather have the grip maybe in the neutral area and then go after the wrist angles because usually I'm seeing a lot of extension in that lead wrist, a lot of cup. So I'll start neutral grip somewhere in there, maybe slightly strong. We'll see. And then from there, start shaping that club face going back where the face is looking more down to the ground early. And then the club face is looking a little bit more up to the sky at the top. And if I can start getting that environment 
Well, now I can start developing that player on the downswing, whether it's not come over the top, because you can imagine if you got that face more shut and you come over it, you'll pull it. It'll feel great and you'll look up, but it's 20 yards left. And I'm okay with that in the process of developing that. But eventually you've got to learn how to get the path from the inside. And you do because you get tired of pulling it. And it's funny, like I've been through that process literally thousands of times. And by getting that face shut more and then that player coming over it, they pull it. And then they ask me, when am I going to quit pulling it? And I say, well, when you get tired of it, you'll eventually start swinging from the inside and getting the ball to start more to the right. And then at that point, you're a better player. Your skill set definitely will improve. I promise you. The other equation is that face is shut. That player comes down from the inside. If they have that compensation at the bottom where they flip it, that can be difficult in a little bit more. How can I put this? It would take a little bit more time oftentimes with that particular player, because now the face is more prepared as far as close, but then they early release it and lean the shaft back. And now it really goes left. So they were managing the open face and they were leaning the shaft back, getting it to start straight. But that player usually comes to you because they're not hitting it very far. They're like, man, I just don't hit it anywhere. I'm a big guy. And I look at my buddies over here and they're not even swinging as hard and they're hitting it longer than I am. I'm hitting a seven iron and they're hitting eight, nine. Why is that? Well, open face, lean it back. You've taken your seven and you've turned it into an eight, a nine. You're adding loft. So that player, you shut it, they flip it. It goes left. They're looking at you like you don't know what you're talking about. But you've got to make that second change where now you get in there, you start leaning the shaft forward and all of a sudden now the seven irons into a six iron and your best friends again. This is the world that I live in. This is how it goes. It's development. My job is to improve the probability of impact. That's what it is. It's to improve the probability of the impact position. And that's what I feel like I'm fairly good at with my coaching, particularly with amateur golfers, is understanding what those patterns are, developing content around those patterns that's going to give them context and get them moving in the right direction to develop their swing. And that context is everything. So hopefully that answers your question around the closed face. The second question comes to the driver because we want to drive for show. We're going to change that right now. You know, no, no, we're going to drive for doubt. Because I just shared that list with you. We are driving for dough here on the Stripe Show podcast because Bryson, Rom, Rory, Victor, Kepka, Cantlay, those are the guys that are in the top 10. Perhaps we've heard of those names. We're driving for dough. And we'll putt for show. How's that? Travis, I pop it up. I've got these marks top of the face, top of the driver head. What's up? Well, it's easy. You're steep. Your attack angle's too steep. We got to shallow it out. So do we need to shallow out it? Do we need to shallow it out going back where we get the left arm kind of working more around you and the club's working maybe a bit more around you, more merry-go-round. And then from there, it can come in more from the inside and work more around you. 
Or sometimes I see a player take the club head so far inside early, then they lift it and come over it steep. So it's like in, up, over. And at that point, you've got to teach that player to get more out and around and then back underneath. So you're too steep. Shallow it out. Make sure that you don't suck the club head in early inside. That's fingernails on the chalkboard. It's funny how you don't ever see that on the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, right? Like, I mean, I guess there would have to be some. There's always outliers. But you just go through these swings, and it's so few and far in between where a player gets the club head in early behind the hands in the backswing, and it's so few and far in between that you see open faces at the top. Now, I know some of you who follow me closely, you're saying, well, what about Sanjay M. Travis? <laughs> I just did that breakdown on Monday, Sanjay. And the breakdown, you could see the face was open at the top, but what did he do early in transition? He closed it early. That's the key. These guys close it early with the shaft pitching back if they need to. Sanjay does get it open at the top, but then he flexes the lead wrist. Now the face starts to shut and he gets it prepared so he can hit it. You've got to get the club face prepared early. That's a good rule of thumb. You've got to get the face prepared early. You've got to have some reasonable shaft pitch where the shaft's laying down behind you. I don't like the shaft going through a steepening phase and or the face opening phase. Now you got, now you got your work cut out. All right, I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but you know, these are, again, the things that go through my mind and that are the consistencies that I see on the lesson T and in online lessons. Take an online lesson from me. It's a hundred bucks. Film your swing face on target line. Send it to me through the skill set. Works really, really well. Next question. Hey, Travis, I feel like I'm steep and from the inside and hit it on the toe and a lot of shots to the left. Steep and from the inside is one of the more difficult ones to fix. And I just kind of talked about it uh, to some degree earlier. Oftentimes when you see steep and from the inside, what you see is a player pulling down with the lead arm and that lead wrist takes on a lot of extension, a lot of cupping. And you'll see that oftentimes with the grip very, very strong. Usually if the grip is weak and you see a lot of extension, the face is so open, it's hard to get it to kick around enough. So usually that player will hit it kind of more to the right. So this is probably a player who has a little stronger grip, but they're pulling down from, and they're pulling down where the shafts kind of pitch still back behind them stum, although steep and narrow, almost a bit like Phil Mickelson. And then from there, what they have to do is they have to stand that handle up. And as they stand that handle up, you can hit it on the toe a lot. And we know when you hit it on the toe, it's going to influence to go to the left for a right-handed player. So oftentimes, and let me just finish that real quick here. When they stand that handle up, now they'll lose shaft lean and that'll kick the head out as well. And that can get the face going left, get the loft pointing too far to the left. So steeping from the inside can be, it can take some work because what you have to do is you have to really evaluate the grip first, make sure it's not too strong. 
And then you've got to get that lead wrist instead of to go into extension where you're pulling down where it's working towards you, but rather the lead wrist flexing and almost unhinging, right? Unhinging would be like if you took your, your lead hand out in front of you and you just took your left thumb and then you kind of push down, like uncocking the wrist, right? And then up would be cocking the wrist, right? And when you go up and cock the wrist, you'll get a lot of angle on the top of the lead wrist and you'll feel that extension kind of in the back side of the left wrist, that cup. So the whole back of the wrist to the top of the wrist has a lot of dish and a lot of cupping to it, right? And those two angles gets you narrow, gets you steep and can get it from the inside if you keep it in close, right? Pulling that right elbow in. So you got to make sure the grip's not too strong, get it neutral, and then go the other way. Feel the left wrist kind of flex, almost bow a little bit, and then unhinge downward, right? And that'll not, it won't feel quite as strong, but that's what you need to feel. And you'll feel the shaft pitch behind you more, lay down shallower, and things will work wider away from you. And that would be the fix to that. And that can be a very difficult and different feel for a player, but that's the answer to his question. Hey, Travis, who do you have to win the match five coming up around Thanksgiving? I mean, it's impossible. It's nearly impossible, although we try every single week to handicap and pick winners on the PGA Tour with 150-person fields uh, over four days. It's probably a little bit easier this week with the CJ Cup because there's only 78 players, no cut, four rounds, the cream tends to rise to the top, so you can kind of whittle it down. But even then, it's difficult. There's so many players, it's so deep, and you can have that great putting week any given week and you, and you match it up with a few breaks here and there. And all of a sudden you've got your first win that we see quite often. But if I had to pick, my pick is going to be Bryson over 12 holes. Anything can happen, but I'll take Bryson. I think Bryson is, is living his best life right now. Things have turned around for Bryson. You just go back to where we were just four or five months ago, Brooks kind of bullying Bryson around in the media, rewarding people for calling him Brooksy with beer. And Bryson was in a tough spot. His game wasn't great. It wasn't sharp. He was longer, but his approach game wasn't very good. And he was, you know, kind of just, I don't know, waffling around a little bit. He saw a lot of emotion from Bryson. He was outlandish. It was easy to pile on. I did. I thought Bryson needed to kind of grow up a little bit. I think he has. I think Bryson, through this deal with Brooks, which is kind of tamed down now post Ryder Cup, but I think you look back at it and how it's all kind of transpired, I think Brooks perhaps looked a little bit better to the public eye early, although I didn't agree with the way he was handling it. I didn't like Brooks's actions. But now I think Bryson's had the best, has had the last laugh. And I've said that, and I believe that. And I think Bryson didn't know how to handle the situation before, but now as he's went through this, how great he played at the Ryder Cup, going to the long drive competition after that, being very competitive, 
Bryson has had the last laugh, and I think he continues, and he beats Brooks Kepka. I think that's what will happen, and that's what I hope will happen. Travis, compare Bryson and Brooks' swings. Well, Brooks plays a fade, and when you look at Brooks, I think what's interesting with Brooks Kepka is that he doesn't turn his lower body very much at all. And Brooks is quite long, right? He gets it out there. He's a strong guy. He can get it out there and create speed. But when you look at him at the back of the swing, you know, Brooks turns his upper and not a lot with his lower. He keeps that trail knee flexed. Doesn't get a lot of lead arm depth. His left wrist looks pretty flexed at the top. As I was talking about earlier, there's not a lot of extension in his lead wrist. Coming down that flexion in the lead wrist, very very apparent, and he just kind of turns left and gets the face to look ever so gently left of the line, and then his path is just slightly left of that, and he hits that little peeler fade. Brooks fades it with that flex lead wrist. Brooks fades it with that face a little shut at the top. You can see it at the top of the swing. You fade it as a function of the path. You don't fade it as a function of holding onto the face open. I think that's very important. I talked about that on Monday. You should go back. I really kind of scaled that out a little bit. Or did I talk about it on Monday? Anyway, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks in, in how that works with the flexion and the lead wrist um, and, and getting that face a little shut and then turning left. Dustin Johnson fades it. Same thing. Jordan Spieth is now fading it. Same thing. You look at Bryson, Bryson's swing has changed. Bryson has now gotten a much deeper lower body turn. Chris Como has helped him turn his lower body more. And Chris will shed some light on that in the podcast when we have him on in November. Chris is a great listen, very smart guy. And he'll give you the details on, on some of that, how it's worked. But you can see the deeper hip turn, the load into the trail side with Bryson. Before, Bryson didn't really turn his lower body much. It was more upper. And as a result of that deeper turn, his swing has lengthened out. Yes, his swing is a bit more across the line at the top. And then from there, he, you know, shallows it down and he turns and hits it. And he hits it more from the inside and Bryson will hit more of that draw. And, and it's a draw that is not excessive, let's say, from in to out where he's swinging out to right field. But I think it's from the inside, it's a a reasonable attack angle, call it plus one. And then from there, turning back around to the left. You even see Bryson kind of aim a bit more to the right sometimes to even influence that draw slightly as well. I was talking to some long drive guys um, that are part of that competition today. And when Bryson was competing at the long drive competition in Nevada, his attack angle was right around that one degree up. And to really nuke it out there and be competitive, he needed to get it up to plus three, plus four. And he was able to do that towards the end where he really got the attack angle to swing up. And that's when he got some of that extra distance and got it up to that 417 yard number. It was a difference in like probably 15 to 17 yards. Now there's other factors that go into that but he was able to change that. And that's kind of the player in Bryson. And that's probably more the accuracy component in Bryson, keeping the attack angle more reasonable in that one degree up realm. Attack angle is tricky for the best players sometimes, because when you start moving that attack angle up, you have to be very, very careful 
that they don't start hanging back. And when they hang back, then they start rotating the face too much. And when you're swinging at those kinds of speeds, the ball can go anywhere. So Bryson's definitely, probably his governor has found that attack angle in the plus one range. He's jacked up the club head speed considerably. And that's what allows him to hit it longer, but relatively accurate too, right? Bryson doesn't spray it all over the place. He probably would more so if he moved the attack angle, say, into that plus four, plus five range consistently. I'll tell you a quick story here. I used to work with Fred Funk, and Fred Funk is probably, if he's not the straightest driver of all time, he's one of them. I think it's something here in the water in Ponte Vedra Beach because Calvin Pete lived here as well. And Calvin Pete was right there with them. These dudes like didn't miss fairways. In fact, with Calvin, I was once told a story that he would wear pants, um, white pants in a tournament when after it's rained and it's like really muddy and Calvin would be out there with white pants and people look at him like he's crazy. Like you're going to get those dirty and Calvin didn't get them dirty because he's never off the fairway. He's never looking for his golf ball. It's always in the short grass, in the fairway, on the green. He wore white pants whenever he wanted. And with Fred, so straight. I mean, ridiculous straight. And I remember one time we were in the bay at TPC Sawgrass, and he was looking at his tacking. His tacking would always be like negative 1.5 down, negative 1 down. And he was asking me questions like, well, you know, if I got that to plus 2, what would that mean in distance? And I'm like, okay, this is a trick question, right? Because if we go to that, which we're going to have that conversation, and I told him the difference in distance, if we went from negative one to plus two, which is significant for him. And, and he's like, well, okay, let's try that. So he, he starts, you know, just instinctively moving the attack angle up. And as he's doing that, I'm watching his technique and I'm also watching his dispersion on the range, you know, start to kind of go all over the place and this and that. And, and, and yeah, we, we got more distance, you know, a lot more distance. And Fred was like, wow, this is huge. And I was like, absolutely. And you got to let this breathe as far as a coach in your mind, right? You can't just completely shut it down because maybe there would be a degree or two to be had and he could play with that. Who knows? You don't know as a teacher, you know what the science says, but you don't know how it's going to, how it's going to work with the player. So you have to let it breathe to some degree. And I did. And then sure enough, you know, as we're going through it, he starts to find it and this and that and the leaves. And he's like, yep, that's our goal. We're going to be getting this like the plus two, plus three. And I'm thinking in my head, we have the potential here of the straightest driver to ever play the game to go crooked. And guess whose name is going to be on it as his coach, Travis Fulton. Well, fortunately, it didn't, it didn't last very long. I would have loved for it to work. I would have loved to move it up to plus one, plus two, but it just wasn't reasonable for Fred because he couldn't keep it in play. He couldn't play with it. He couldn't get it out on the golf course. He got too crooked when he tried to do it on the range, and then on the course, he just, he just you know, went away. So it's there's some give and take there. We know what the science says, but when you start implementing it into the best player's game, the reality is you don't know how it's going to transfer to the golf course. You just don't. And if a teacher tells you that you do, you do he does or who she does or whoever, they don't know. That's the mystery of it. Now, in amateur golf, I think when we're playing one day a week and this and that and the handicap's 15 already and the skill set is reasonable and like, yeah, I think you can make those changes justifiable a lot easier 
with those players. So it's easier to move it to plus one, plus two through the development of technique and other things. It's interesting when I work on the driver and I get people more distance, I usually get it more accurate too. Very, very seldom does someone come back and say, you know, you got me 15 more yards, but I'm, I'm just a lot more inaccurate. I'm just, I'm missing fairways. Very seldom. Not to say it doesn't happen. Everything happens. But as I'm changing the setup and I'm getting them to recruit better in the backswing, lengthening things out, increasing speed, speed training, you know, distance and accuracy, more times than not, amateur player tends to go together. You know, Bryson is super long and it's hard to be accurate, but he's pretty damn accurate. DJ's long. He's pretty damn accurate. John Rahm's long. He's very accurate. So it's interesting, you know, with the driver. I like working on the driver. It's fun, especially in long distance training. You can really make an impact with people. And then taking that technique and improving their iron game uh, as well. Hey, Travis, why do you encourage a passive trail foot sometimes to players? What's the benefit of that? That's a good question. Um, I don't encourage this to everybody, but sometimes in the context of working through the impact zone and getting a player to learn how to rotate and extend better with the spine through impact, which is kind of extension is back bend. You feel that little dish in your lower back versus forward bend flexion. We flex forward at address. And so often when you're working with a player and you're developing a player, they, they try to stay down. And when they try to stay down, they kind of push off the trail foot, right foot comes up early and they're almost like launching laterally, almost like a shot putter. And the spine stays down in flexion. The head gets out in front and they kind of rotate around and they just kind of come over it or they have to throw it with the hand, with the wrist. You know, a lot of different things can happen. They can get very steep on it, but it's that launcher. It's that push off trail foot comes up to the toe, spines down in flexion. We turn through, we feel like we're out of it. And what's interesting is we feel like we come out of it and we're very tall to the finish because of that spine angle trying to stay down through impact. How about that? I say down, I'm trying to stay down through impact and I turn and launch. And when I get to the finish, I feel like I came quote out of it. It's complicated. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a player not to stay down. You don't stay down. Your spine as you're turning through into post-impact is going to stay in some extension. There is a moment where, yes, as you turn to the top of the swing and you elongate up with some extension, and then you come back down into that flex position in transition. And then as you're turning through impact and you're working into the post-impact realm, now there's this extension in the spine. And I find that extension through impact is something that helps so many players. And what I'll do oftentimes for those who are launching out ahead of it and the trail foot's popping up to the toe and we just feel like we're always coming up out of it. I'll get them to feel like, look, just kind of keep the trail foot passive on the instep. Not completely on the pitcher, pitcher's mound, 
The trail heel can come up a little, but just kind of passive trail foot. And then from there, I want you to turn and extend the spine back. And you'll feel like this elongation in the lead leg and the spine kind of working up. And the trail foot serves as good context and a governor that's encouraging rotation with spine extension. Now, if I said you pop the trail foot up to the toe early, like Lexi and JT, and then as you turn, you're going to feel that player is going to feel their spine lunge ahead. And then it's always followed with, well, hey, Travis, it works for JT. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And if you want to keep swinging like that, knock yourself out. Right. But more times than not, people are coming to me with this launch and they're out ahead. This is a common mistake that I see so often in social media, on the lesson T, online lessons. So I'll get them to hit these little controlled approach wedges, passive trail foot, weights moving left, they're turning, right foot's down on the instep, they're turning, lead legs pushing up, spine's extending, and then they just kind of feel like they have this little three-quarter finish, and all of a sudden when they finish, now their trail shoulder's lower than their left, and they're like, that's how a tour player finishes. I see that. It's a great drill. I love it. Do it slower speeds first. And once you kind of just get how that works and how that trail foot can encourage the right movements and really give things proper context of how you should be moving left, how you should be moving into the lead foot, turning, elongating up, little release and re-hinging of the wrist to this three-quarter finish, left glutes engaged. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. And uh, that's a very, very good question. All right. There's a few things there. Um, You know, we talk about these things in pieces sometimes. Sometimes we break them down. I kind of focused a little bit more on the full swing here today. We're going to drive for dough and we're going to putt for show. More stuff coming up on Short Game, of course, on the Stripe Show podcast and putting. Don't get me wrong. It's a big part of the game. But I've got you covered here on uh, on some of the, the narratives, on some of the most common things that I think are out there that I see. And then I think when we can exhaust them here from time to time and answer questions very specifically I think we're speaking to a lot of different people. So I hope that helps you out there. And if you have some questions that you want me to answer, go ahead and DM me. Instagram at Travis Fulton Golf. Twitter at Travis Fulton. Thank you for being here on the Stripe Show podcast. We are growing. If you would do me a favor, make sure you're subscribed to the Stripe Show. Leave us a rating. It helps so much. And a comment. We are on our way. We want to get to the top five. We need your help. Tell your friends. Great lineup coming at you for the rest of October into November. And you know what? Rumor has it through December as well as my new studio will be done December 1st here in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. TF Golf Headquarters. Great podcast coming your way. Great content coming your way. Thank you for being here. We'll be back tomorrow with Samantha on Happy Hour Friday. Stripe Show Podcast.